Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Centurion Leadership Battalion podcast, your source of accountability, inspiration, and motivation to become your best and reach your fullest potential every day. Our motto, it's simple, to use our determination to crush our everyday leadership tasks so that we dominate in our delivery of services and products to our clients and achieve victory and personal growth, profitability, and creating environments for those around us to prosper. Let's get this show started. Hello, and welcome back to the Centurion Leadership Battalion podcast. I am your host, Elena, and we're back for part two of our Q&A episode regarding why relationships with animals are important to leadership. So we are excited that you are back and listening to this episode. Please be sure to leave us a review and a rating on whatever app you choose to listen into our podcast and we can get started. Welcome back, Justin. Hey, thanks to everyone. Thank you everyone for listening in. <clears throat> you know, uh, pay up you know, share the podcast, give us a review. We can, you know, I see some of the reviews coming in through some of the other channels, but we could use some some more on Apple for sure. So anyone who listens on iTunes, please give us a review. Um, I hope you're generating value um, or we're generating value for you guys in your life and it's helping you generate value in your own life. <clears throat> and I really, I've been thinking about this a lot, Elena, especially as we're, we're getting more into this and I'm um, getting more comfortable and I've done some lectures at Georgia College as um, some guest lectures um, now for a couple different classes. And so there's some things, you know, I'm really thinking about what is the value that we're trying to drive out of this podcast and, and the value we're trying to give everyone so they think that there's value we're sharing. Um, and I know it's for free. So for the value for you and I is just, I think, narrowing in our leadership skills and being you know, more comfortable in gaining experience uh, within the leadership world. I think that's obviously our upside. But I think one of the important things um, as we get into this and we get into topics like the topic today or the last topic, which is the animals, which I think everyone's going to be, um, oh, we can get into it. I'll let you answer the question, ask the question first. But I just, it, the point of these are to open up your mind. It's not necessarily the way Justin Bizarro did things. This is just the skills that I've learned over 41 years of living on a farm and then um, being an entrepreneur and, and starting and growing food service partners with my father and his, um, some business partners over the last 23 years, amongst other things, other entrepreneurial endeavors, um, businesses I've opened and closed or bought and sold. Um, I've done all of those things. Um, so that's where I'm sort of getting the leadership skills um, to do this. But through all of it and all my experiences, no matter where it was in the world and where it was in my life or what I've done, the most essential skill, I think, is leading yourself. And then I think it's being able to lead others um, so that you can make a difference in the world. And we as businesses and particularly as entrepreneurs, we focus so much on making money sometimes and doing things. I often think that we could have such a greater purpose and make such a greater difference if we actually led beyond just our businesses or led beyond just our families. And so I think that there's a lot of leadership podcasts out there, how to be great leaders and how to do things like that. 
but with this one where we're trying to do is and what we do at future response is challenge the belief system and challenge the human potential by uncapping things by getting you to think differently just because it is doesn't mean it has to be and just because leadership did it this way in the past our great leaders are modeled this way now or were modeled that way in the past doesn't mean that the leaders of the future are going to be weighed the same way. And so that's what we're measuring here. That's what we're trying to discuss. And that's what we're trying to discover. And the more we listen in on this podcast, and the more we get into this, the more the subject matter is going to start to narrow down as we become better with it. And we bring on more experts for some of the things like um, exposure through leadership. or leadership through exposure, I always get it. I can't remember which direction it goes um, since it's new. But that's the whole thing is how much value can we give you guys and how much value can you turn around and generate for yourselves and for your communities and for the world. And I think ultimately, you know, I think we're probably 40 episodes in at this point in recording. Um, I'm not sure, but um, I can't keep track. But the point being is it's more or less now about how do we get as much value out there to you guys on a regular basis so we, you guys can keep growing as fast as possible in an expedited route where you're also getting content where you can go apply to your life, whether it's your family, your community, your job, your school, your, the team you play for, wherever it is. And so <clears throat> that's what this is meant to be. And when we talk about the, the subject matter of, of animals, I know the last podcast was probably a little bit hard for people to swallow since traditionally we're used to different things. But what it's meant to do is get you to think that it's not a simple solution in that it's plant-based protein for all. And it's not as simple as let's save all the animals. There has to be an equation that meets human consumption. And when we understand that human consumption is a big part of the world and that humans are a very aggressive species, that's why we're the only ones of our kind left. Like Homo sapiens sapiens are here because we killed off all the others, okay? To rise to the top, to gain what we have, to have houses, to have whatever, it means we have no competition. And it's not true in the whole world. You don't want to eliminate your competition. But we as humans did it in the world. Yet we still have fear of COVID, which could take us all out, aliens, which could be another species, so on and so forth. But on this planet, we have taken out all of our competitors, literally. But what it's left us with is a great responsibility over everything else on this planet. Because as the highest being, we are probably the smartest, most aggressive, most intelligent, you know, it left us with a different scenario. So Elena, what's our question again for today? Our question is the same as last week, but we're going to move a bit in a different direction of why is a relationship with animals important to leadership? So today I want to talk more about just the food chain and farming and just some information from your past and maybe a little bit about hunting and just kind of take it in that direction for today. Okay. So we'll figure it out, but well, let's talk about it because I, I think the mo you've recently with your boyfriend gone through an experience and he's a hunter and he's gone through the deer and Pennsylvania is a great state that I want to talk to everyone about in terms of 
the relationship with animals in the wild and the relationship and the monitoring of the animals in the wild is almost better regulated in the state of Pennsylvania in particular than we monitor the actual animals in our food chain that we commercialize, if you will, or industrialized. So I would, I would love to talk about this, Elena, and your story and, and take as long as you want. Cause I just, I think that your experience is a great one in terms of giving people the ability to be self-aware of their own mindset. Um, so please, the floor is yours. Yeah, definitely. So yes, we live technically in Delaware, right on the border of Pennsylvania. So uh, it's a lot different up here than when I lived down in Georgia. I was aware of things like hog hunting and obviously just deer hunting and things like that, but I never knew everything that went into it, especially when I lived down there. And I think it's also maybe a little bit less regulated there because people live on, you know, big farms and things like that. But living here has definitely been a different experience just in the way that I have noticed um, things have to go and all the processes that you have to go through and the approvals and all of these things. So even just to hunt, you have to have, you know, a specific license for the type of hunting that you want to do and the type of animal that you want to kill and the type of weapon, all of that. And then you have to have the area which you're going to be hunting in approved. And then you get these tags basically that you use um, throughout the hunting season and you only get so many of each tag. And so uh, Greg, who my boyfriend, he hunts quite often, um, but I never really knew all the detail that had to go into it until he had me ride with him one day to drop off a deer at a butcher. Um, he had to call basically the, not the game warden, but whoever, you know, the company that oversees our area for hunting and you have to call and you can call at any time of the night, which is really interesting. They always have people working all 24 hours of the day, which I thought was super cool. But basically you just call them and they ask for your name. They ask for your badge number. They ask for your tag number and what kind of animal you killed and what county you killed it and what specific area and road and all of that. It's just so interesting. And it was a how really many fun. points was it? Yeah. How many points? Was it? Yeah. In terms of how many, the horns, they always ask how many points oh, it they, is. They do ask that. I thought you were asking how many this deer was and I was going to have no idea, but they do. <laughs> ask that. They ask basically, you know, was it a male or female? La la la. This entire thing um, that you have to go through. And I just found it really interesting because I thought you just killed a deer and then you just, you know, took it in and got it butchered or prepared or whatever it is that you want to do with it. I had no idea it was a whole process. So it's definitely been very interesting to learn about um, and see how they keep track of all the different animals that there are, because it'd be the same if you wanted to hunt anything else. Um, you kind of have to go through the same process. So up here, they definitely do a great job of making sure, you know, you're hunting in an ethical way and you're not, you know, they keep track of the population, all of that. So I found it very, very interesting. So I want to talk about this. Like I, I was born in Pennsylvania in Allentown Hospital, um, and I lived there until I was four. And majority of my mom's side of the family is um, from Pennsylvania, and they are Pennsylvania Dutch in background. So a lot of hunting and whatever. I myself do not hunt, but I am. I do shoot guns, um, and I do have a bow and arrow that I shoot. Um, that I'm trying to get better at that I need to spend more time with because I feel like you need to have these life skills in life. I think it's important 
Um, weirdly, I didn't always feel this way. Um, I didn't always see life skills as important, but I have seen a different world where, um, you know, as a side note, like being a man and being able to protect your family and being able to have the skills and the presence to do so is very important. So I think that hunting and doing that thing is, is an important way to gain those skills, judgment or not, world or not. You know, we we are very close minded in the United States and we are very foolish in thinking that the rest of the world lives by us like us. There's only one country even close to like us and it's Uruguay, like reality check. The other democracies in the world, other countries that are not developed as developed as we are. Um, they don't play by the same rules we do. And if we're going to be leaders in the world and entrepreneurs in the world, we need to be able to go expose our families to the world so they can be leaders in the world also. But we've got to have the presence physically to protect our family, but we've also got to have skills. And like those skills that may not be comfortable for everyone are better developed hunting animals than hunting people, for example. Like it's a straight up fact. And as hard as that sounds, like it's an important skill and having an important skill of being able to feed your family uh, in hunting, if you don't have money or you don't have whatever and you're desperate, it's an important skill. And I've seen poor people that have hunting skills feed their family and provide food in, in ways that we can't even imagine. And I think across the world, number one, but number two, in the United States, there's poor populations. Um, particularly in rural areas that have figured out how to live this way, whether it's rabbits or um, deer or, or pheasant or that type of thing. So that's number one. Uh, number two is um, the other part is these licenses in Pennsylvania that the people buy to get hunting these tags. These, what they did is it's an interesting thing because if we think about it, if we save all the species on the planet, what happens? We're going to have overpopulation and disease and it's overrun and natural selection doesn't ha happen. And there's not a cycle there, right? So as humans, because we've overpopulated the earth, we have to make sure that we keep all the species on the planet, but we also have to ensure they don't overpopulate because overpopulate means bad for humans, but also bad for possibly other species. So like we have this huge responsibility and in some ways it is godlike. Like we're playing a little bit of God here in that because we're so hungry and we're so aggressive and we, we want things like houses and all this stability um, and growth and all of that, we have to figure out a different way of doing it. And that's not by having all plant-based protein. For example, I believe plant-based protein is part of the solution because it's a way to get protein. But I think the real solution is how do we integrate more with our animals in terms of food, in terms of pets, in terms of those type of things, and have more of an open mind about feeding the world population, saving the animals on the planet, and not letting them get overpopulated. And it's a big deal. And we have to have some hard conversations. And it's, it's more, you know, conviction and righteousness and doing the right thing than trying to save everything. Because if you try to save everything, you save nothing. And there always has to be sacrifice of some to save the lot. 
that's just part of the way it is. And in a Judeo-Christian world, like we understand that that's what's in there. Like it wasn't that it, it was, Jesus was not a pacifist. Like it, that's a, that's a Buddhist. Like we, like, it just wasn't that way. And, in in and, and understanding that the animals are part of our life and their souls uh, um, are part of the world. And it is our responsibility as humans to have oversight and make that oversight in an educated way. Right. Some people are like, well, if God exists, why doesn't he do it for you? Because he gave us free will to have a choice to do the right thing. If someone's getting robbed in the street, he gave us the choice to do the right thing. Do we help that person or don't we help that person? And God or not, we do have a choice to be a good person or not for our soul, for a person, for humanity, for a legacy. I don't care what you believe in, what religion. It's still like holistically, it's very hard for me to argue how you don't, anyone doesn't see that, that there's a compounding effect. But people argue with me all the time. Like, in ad nauseum, um, even new employees before they get into the culture, et cetera. So what I like about Elena's story is it breaks it down into Pennsylvania has managed a deer population. It's managing a fish population and they are able to have these reserve in these homes and these protective areas and parks for these animals that are also paid for and supported by these licenses. So it's not, necessarily um conservationism it's not necessarily sustainable sustainable it's more or less like we're realizing that we have to keep nature around but we're realizing that as humans we're on the ever-growing pursuit on this planet so it's how do we preserve places for the animals but make it a part of where the humans still enjoy it so there's something worth looking at you know it's like could we lock off yellowstone absolutely but it wouldn't serve it much purpose and how would we pay for it when if we can get people to see it see the buffalo see the wolves understanding that wolves even though they may be dangerous to humans and the farmers nearby that they're essential in keeping the population and erosion and all that in check so we just have to be smart and well-rounded humans and understand that yes we may have to eat an elephant and yes it's possible that rhinos may have to serve more of a purpose than just looking at them but we're going to have to be realistic and it's going to have to be profitable. And we're going to have to understand that human consumption drives all. It doesn't matter if it's in America and we're the ultimate driver and everyone sees us as this big marketplace, or it's in China where they have this desire for very unique things that are very hard to get, such as ivory or, or bull, whatever, or, you know, elephant this and that, like we just have to, and that's not me to insult anyone. That's me, it's just me being realistic in that they have, there's a consumption there regardless of it's faith driven or not. And so that's what we have to be realistic in. And we have to be realistic in that there was once a free cow or there was once a free chicken. Like we domesticated things for humans so we can continue to grow. And maybe we didn't do it properly. Maybe we need to clean it up and do it more humanely and all those things. I agree 100%. But you know what forces cows to be more humane or chickens to be raised better? Introduce something that's a threat. 
And I'm not talking just organic chicken. I'm talking about put alligator meat on the market. We're seeing it with bison in the United States. Bison is a good rounded meat that the United States can really make a living on, right? Alligator, all possible. Like we need to think about these things. If they're endangered, we may need to eat them. We may need to use, look at them differently and that's okay. And, um, but we need to regulate it. And I think what Elena showed in the microcosm of Pennsylvania is sort of that, um, that idea, which is that maybe not everyone likes deer. I certainly don't like deer meat. I love deer bologna and deer jerky, but I don't love venison. But that doesn't mean that I should stop other people from using it as a food source when what's the other option? They get disease and they die in rapid rates anyway, and their life was useless. They serve no purpose if I just let them die. And I have the power and the thinking ability as a human to do something about it. It's irresponsible, really irresponsible. And we would put an animal out of our misery and say that was the right thing to do. We do it with our dogs. So why not understand that some that as a higher being, we have to make choices that aren't the choices we want, we want to make. Just like, you know, God certainly doesn't want us to kill each other, but he has to enable us to have conviction and grow to believe in ourselves. Otherwise, if he did it for us all the time, then what good are we as humans if we're totally dependent on him or dependent on the government, if I want to take it to down to this world? You know, what good are we, what value do we have if we're dependent on other people or dependent on a government, can't take care of ourselves, can't take care of our planet or the humans, you know? So that's, that's sort of, you know, my two cents, honestly. And I think that we let our feelings and our emotions get involved and it's important, but we need to sort of direct them in a way that's what is really best for the animals and really best for the planet and really best for us as humans. And how do we do that in balance? And maybe I don't want to hunt. Maybe I don't want to kill an animal. Okay. Okay. But you're still going to eat. Maybe I still eat meat in the grocery store. Like we just have to be realistic about what it is and the distance we have from the killing anyway. And so like we just, it's a realistic hard conversation. We need to lead through it. I'm sure you have some other, other things on there, Elena, that we were going to discuss. Um, but um, let's talk about some of the other topics. That we're I covered the majority of it. The only other uh, topic that I wanted to kind of speak about was just something, maybe a key takeaway from your life of growing up on a farm and just how you feel personally, not really just generalized, but actually for yourself that, you know, taking care of animals and being around animals helped you grow leadership skills. I mean, it's the one I, I don't know, like leadership is people often think leadership is about getting people to do what you want and your vision and your whatever, like we can use Primal Rock as an example. I mean, where I started Primal Rock off and I took the leap is not where it is. You know, Elena doing the scavengeology podcast and Audrey doing like what she's done to it and, and us talking about, you know, really going after, you know, a different market and, and what it means. I don't want to let it out of the cat out of the bag just yet. Um, but 
I don't know. I think that what animals teach you is that you don't have control in this world and that leadership is about reacting and pivoting and finding opportunity in it and learning from it. So you make sure that those things are less likely to happen again. Like the horse is less likely to get tangled in the fence, you know? And I think that it gives you a very value-based um, very tangible thing to have animals and raise them. You have a responsibility. Um, it forces you to balance your time different. Um, it really forces you to step out of yourself on a regular basis. Um, it teaches you that no matter what happens in life, you can be loved um, for sure. And what it also teaches you is that every soul has a purpose. And every soul's purpose is not the same as a human soul's purpose. And so, like, you just have to be really realistic about God or whatever science in this planet, however you want to look at it. It's a perfect orchestration of nature and humanity. And yes, maybe we killed off a bunch of species and killed off a bunch of other Homo sapiens. Uh, and and all we have left is Homo sapiens sapiens. Granted, but we have a choice now, and you know it's we constantly look backwards and want the government to fix what happened in the past or or whatever. But the reality is, is we have a choice to look forward instead of trying to fix everything that happened before. It's more or less using ourselves and providing value for ourselves and our family to move forward. And that's what animals teach us. They have a shorter lifespan than we have as humans. And I guarantee you 100% it is on purpose for the most part. There's very few animals, a tortoise that lives forever and it should teach you something. Like a tortoise lives a long time. Why? They take life slowly. They take care of themselves. Or some would argue they're on a vegetarian diet, but I don't, that's not my argument. I argue that turtles eat fish too, but whatever tortoises have vegetarian diet for sure but my point being is that they're very disciplined tortoises are very disciplined and they achieve things long term and humans the more disciplined we come and the more healthy we come the longer we live but because animals have shorter lives we get a very real feeling of death and loss and the value of a soul and if an, a cow's going to live seven years anyway, and we're going to butcher it at one to two years, you know, what is the value of butchering a bunch of cows and having them continue to grow and be a part of the species and ensure their livelihood? Um, so, that, but yet also make them food. You know, that's was a real question. Like, am I going to eat my dog? No. But if, if there's parts of the world that raise dogs to eat them, I have to be very realistic that that's okay and that there's nutrition there and food sources that I don't, that I don't understand, but that are real. And I have to be very realistic in that we have to work with nature and we have to be realistic and we already spayed and neuter dogs and cats galore anyway to try to keep them from overpopulating because the reality is it's not them that's overpopulated. It's us that's overpopulated their world and they have nowhere to go. And so we're fixing them, literally the word fix them, which is, which is not what you're doing. They weren't broken. So you're not fixing them. They weren't broken in the first place. So it's an interesting term, 
but you're neutering them and you're spading them so they don't. And I do it to my dogs, believe me, guys. I don't want puppies. Um, I'm realistic about managing it. So that's the other thing. When you have animals and you're realistic, you don't overdo it. You don't have horses dying on the field. I've seen many people do it. If you really learn and you really want to learn leadership from animals, like you have to be invested in them, like realistically invested in them. And they have to become a part of your family. If you have dogs, like you, like I'm, it's important to let them be a part of your family, like take trips, do whatever, integrate it in. Um, it makes a difference. And let me tell you, um, the one thing I will say that comparatively that if I were to say it and people are going to ask me for proof or whatever, I don't have any factual proof, but I'm telling you just from my own experience and, and just watching my entire life and just seeing it. And with my friends and people that have family and kids, um, conflicts resolve in families much easier. Um, there's less stress in families. There's more goal orientation. There's a better understanding of time and its importance in family that have animals, multiple animals. I don't know why, but I, I tell you 100%, I notice a difference. Even when I'm interviewing someone, I can tell whether someone's raised an animal or not. It's almost, I can just, I can feel it. I can tell whether someone has the education and the experience to back up what they're saying, but I can also right off the back tell them whether they've been around an animal. There's a side of people, and if you don't have an animal now, you should try it, but don't be a jerk and don't abuse the animal and do the right thing. And by abuse, neglect is abuse, okay? Neglect is abuse in every form, whether it's towards a human or an animal, right? So... um it will change your life. I guarantee it. You know, I grew up on a farm and I didn't have my own dog till I was 33 years old. You know, it was a big mistake in in my life and the life I chose. Um, and there were other mistakes. It wasn't only that, but I didn't bring that into my life soon enough to bring the balance I needed to my life to understand what was going on in my life in a very negative fashion and the toxicity that I let into my life. And animals, guys, have a way of flushing out toxicity. I don't know why they can judge our relationships. If you watch the way someone treats your animal when they first meet you, it tells you everything about that person, hands down. And if you don't listen to it, you're a fool because they know the human faster than you do, period. I'm just saying. I've seen it, horses and dogs in particular. They know the human. They know the character of the human way before you do. I don't know why and I don't know how, but they definitely serve a purpose. And horses before automobiles being such a close companion and dogs being domesticated as such a close companion, it's no accident. Okay, there are things that we can't judge about people that they can. And so I am telling you right now, observe it more. And when you get a year down the road and you're like, I should have seen this coming, your fucking dog saw it day one. So I'm just saying, and really it's an interesting thing because we don't let animals into the workplace and we don't let whatever, but now I take people to the farm 
you want to work with me, you want to do whatever, how do you handle animals on the farm? What's your attitude towards them? How do you feel? Are you comfortable? Like it tells a lot about how they're going to do business in this world or how they're going to treat people, you know? So like, like we've talked about, how do you treat something that's less intelligent as you arguably, um, in some ways, um, tells you a lot about how you're going to treat a human, you know, what your real intent is or what your true character is. Cause when you have no one to fight you back, it shows your true character and it'll teach you a lot about yourself. I like, believe me, I am an impatient person. Like walking the dog and waiting for them to poop and pee at the beginning was so hard for me. It reminded me of the farm. And I was like, I need to farm and walking the horses and the amount of time always and I didn't look at it always the right way. But then once I realized that it's teaching you something for you, you know, we're responsible for it. We're the highest being. Like we have a lot of responsibility in taking care of the animals. And guys, I hate to say it, but the animals that we're really close to when you're close to an animal, you will see that an animal's soul and purpose is to also take care of us. And sometimes that is food, but they are here to take care of us also and make sure that we thrive in this world. So it's a cobweb, not a straight line. And it's complicated yet simple. So thanks, Elena. Thanks everyone for listening in. Thank you so much. I think all of that was really inspiring information and something for people to take away and really think about and really look at things through that lens of animals and how people work with animals and treat them. I think that's just a really good test of someone's personality. So thank you for all of that information. And thank you everyone for joining us today. And we hope to see you back next time.